Episode 4, Never Say Never. My name is Marcus Knight. Welcome back to Make Impact Movement Podcast, the podcast series that looks to aim and inspire social ventures to go out into the world and make it a better place. I'm here with Carlton Guthrie. Hi, Mr. Guthrie. Hey, hey. How's it going? How you feeling today? Uh, going great. A little tired, awesome. long day, but uh, this will pick me up, no doubt. I would imagine. I know you just got done off of a got off of a phone call that was pretty important. Uh, I know, and I would imagine you're going to talk about that throughout the course of the podcast. So, uh, like I was just mentioning to you. Uh, if you would like to uh, share about your background, what made you you? And uh, because, you know, I don't want to go get too much into how I know you uh, because the podcast is about featuring you and your work. But uh, obviously, I, you know, I worked uh, at an organization that you have been in, very much involved in for uh, for two decades uh, or almost two decades. And uh I admire the amount of energy and effort you put into your work because, you know, people talk about wanting to do and they want to, they want to change, but you put your money where your mouth was and your feet were. And so uh, I, I really think uh, when we talk about getting out there and doing the work, uh, it's, it's always nice to talk about the people who are on the ground, uh, but also to the people who may not necessarily uh, have this, have social impact work at their day job, but they have such a strong commitment to it. And so uh, I want people to know who you are as a person, uh, your background, uh, what motivates you and uh, what really led you into your current social impact work that you're involved in because you're doing a couple things. Okay. Well, um, I am who I am because of my parents. Um, uh, I was born in Atlanta, um, but, raised uh, initially in Lithonia, Georgia. Uh, both of my parents were the first in their families to go to college. And uh, my dad moved north to escape the Klan. He was doing voter registration and uh, they were coming for him. So mm -hmm. they stuck him out in the trunk of a car and uh, sent him to Detroit where he had an uncle. And then on to Chicago and then they brought the family up. Um, and then we settled in Gary, Indiana. So education, always a strong focus as well as giving back. Um, grew up in the church uh, in Gary, Indiana, uh, New Revelation. Uh, graduated from uh, Westside High School as a valedictorian. Uh, the five kids in my family, four of us, we either valedictorian or salutatorian of our high school. So you're very, you're very smart. So strong focus on education. Dad was one of the, the founders of um, the church that we attended also. So grew up in the church and in the school. Um, so with that kind of a, a grounding and a foundation, no surprise that I'm still doing yeah. this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so um, left Gary and uh, went to Harvard, uh, got an undergraduate degree in economics and MBA and um, found my way into consulting, management consulting. Uh, I'm a problem mm -hmm. solver by nature. Uh, I've been solving problems since I was a little kid, math major initially, and I enjoy the challenge of solving problems, the more complex, the more enjoyable. Um, and I apply that to my uh, social venturism. Absolutely. Described it. Um, bought my first company in 1985, uh, Trumark, 
company that made bumpers and heavy metal parts for the automotive industry. And uh, my brother, Michael, who's two years older than I am, we partnered. And since then, we've uh, owned and managed probably oh, 20 wow. companies. Um, wow. So currently, um, we own um, four companies. Uh, we make uh, mobile uh, mobile oh, yeah. homes. I remember, yeah, I remember uh, when I first started to work for you, that's something that came up. Yep. Yep. Uh, the, these are the, the big ones, the Class A motorhomes. We've got 90-plus percent of the market. Um, what you see with the Winnebago is what they put on, but they buy a, a chassis from us that you can drive. You mm -hmm. sit on a box, uh, dash, gas tank, uh, all that stuff, and we ship it to them. They put everything on it. So uh, we're, we're the market leader by far. We make them Ford Motor Company, and we've been doing this um, for 20 years. Um, we also have a company that does tire and wheel assemblies. Uh, we do axle assemblies for heavy-duty trucks. Um, I have a company that does custom upfits. We used to make electric cars for Ford. So we now do um, uh, hybrid uh, commercial truck vehicles for UPS and FedEx. Mm -hmm. um, Oh yeah, you're everywhere. Uh, also have a healthcare. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, so we've got a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on an unrelated note, uh, you know, I think that's really important too because I, I know that uh, specifically with Concern Christian Man, you're going to talk about them later. But uh, motivating uh, or introducing young people to this ideal of uh, not being pigeonholed uh, to a certain business or a certain career. Uh, and especially in your instance, you're talking about running over 20 different companies, uh, them being under your management, under your eye at some point. Uh, it's just awesome uh, when, you, when, you, when you think about how some people don't even have the chance to even run one company successfully and you've had 20. Uh, and I, I'm just curious, you know, I know there's a lot of technical, uh, there's, a, there's a technical aspect to running a company, but what are some of the personal things you need, some of the personality traits you need to, to run in 20 companies? Well, um, there are a bunch of them. Um, one of them is you have to have the capability and ability to manage and motivate people. Um, you can only do so much by yourself. You have to be able to identify what the talents and skills are that are required for success. And you got to either have them or procure uh -huh. them. Um, so that's, that's one of the key things that you have to have. Um, another is that you have to be able to incorporate, um, a perspective that says that you're going to provide the best service product that you can. You've got to have a focus on producing quality. Um, you won't last in any business if you produce yeah. junk. Um, you, you have to figure out how to imbue quality, innovation, timeliness into your product so that folks will come to you. Um, we don't actually go out and market for business. People come to us because uh, they know who we are and what we do. Um, so that's, that's a key consideration. Um, uh, another is that you have to be able to do what it takes. You got to pay the Absolutely. cost to be the boss. Uh, some people, you know, they think they can get there without having the bus. You got to work hard. Um, and not just work hard, you mm -hmm. got to work smart. So those are the kind of things that a lot of people don't learn growing up. Um, nowadays, entrepreneurs, you can be an entrepreneur at, at eight years yeah. old. Um, when I was growing up, it wasn't possible. You didn't have the same um, 
access, the same social media. I mean, you didn't have the technological innovations. So uh, I focused on building skills. My whole career was focused on on skill development. That was one of the three uh, themes or drivers to my career was skill development. Um, I wanted to be, I, I knew mm-hmm. what I was good at and I knew what I enjoyed doing. I also knew what I wasn't good at and didn't enjoy doing. And I made sure I developed what I was good at and enjoyed doing. That's very, you know, and, that's, and it's funny because when you say skill development, I think about uh, all the individuals that I've ever spoke to who are in, in a leadership position and have gotten really far. And it's not that, you know, obviously, you know, it sounds like you've, uh, you're academically or you were academically inclined and you, you have a level of uh, aptitude around mathematics. But some of the people that I've, I've spoken to, uh, for the most part, they are just good at collecting resources. And so these can be external resources, but I also think, too, uh, it's it's very much about them interacting with people in in. in kind of stockpiling resources uh, uh, to help them develop the skills they need to be successful. And so they just end up being a jack of all trades. Uh, they end up being more discerning. And that's what it sounds like when I'm talking to you in terms of working smarter and not harder. The ability to discern is, is something that comes with wisdom. And it, and, and, uh, it doesn't it isn't necessarily associated with your age, but your ability to go out there and to be a resource hog to an extent, you know? Yeah, well, you know, these days um, with the advent of social media, it's a lot easier to be a jack of all trades. It's a lot easier to tap into a bunch of resources and networks. Um, I, I didn't have the luxury of uh, the conventions that are available now. So, um, uh, and I, I did network and I, I worked in networks that I had and I had some excellent ones. Uh-huh. But uh, the networks that I have um, or I developed pale to what you can do now. Uh, so how did you do it then? Media. I mean, I, I know it's hard work and, and you've at this point, it's so much a part of you. I would imagine this may be hard to kind of piecemeal it. But I'm just curious, how did you go about developing the skills that you do have uh, that I, not only that are you, you're, you're talking about that I've seen reflected also in your social impact work? Like, how did you go about doing it with with, I guess, things not being so available? Well, I had, I had, yeah, I had uh, basically three things drove my career. Um, one was a personal mission, which I have actually um, been exploring since I was probably about 10 years old. Um, one of the things that, as a, as a youngster, that intrigued me was um, the golden rule. Um, do unto others as you mm-hmm. have them do unto you. And also give and you shall receive. Um, that was something that intrigued me, especially give and you shall receive. Uh, we grew up poor. We were working poor. Dad was a bus driver. Um, Mom did sewing. Um, And dad uh, grew up in the church and he actively practiced give and you shall receive. And we didn't have a lot to give. Uh, So I I observed that. And I also observed the tension that came when mom said, what are you doing? You know, I mean, we barely got food to eat. Dad's giving stuff to folks who were in worse shape than us. But um, but with all that giving. Mm -hmm. We kept getting. Um, uh, I would notice he would take us to cut the grass of some of the older folks, uh, do stuff around their house on a Saturday. So we're out there busting. He's sitting on the porch drinking lemonade. But we cutting grass, fixing fences. And we did this all the time. And then they would they would die and they'd leave him their house or their car. 
And as a kid, I got it twisted. You know, I mean, I, I give and you shall receive. But I was trying to figure this out. I was trying to figure this out. So my personal mission now is you have to give oh, yeah. some to get some. And this wouldn't be. OK, you have to put this wouldn't be like quote quote, right? You're not talking about this because that seems so mechanical, right? No, it, it's no, no. It's, for example, it's if you put money mm-hmm. in a bank, you get interest. You give and you get. Um, you work out and you get a, a great body. You know, I mean, you have to put something out to get something back. Um, you have to be willing to give and give unconditionally. But if you do that, you will get mm-hmm. something in return. Returns will come to you. So I give unconditionally, be it to organizations, to individuals, uh, my time, my effort. Um, now, I use some discretion there. Oh, but some people absolutely. are just takers. And I would imagine that came with time, too. But. Yeah, well, you learn, you know, you learn. Um, But I I figured out long ago that that formula, I mean, it's it's in the Bible, but it's a formula life. There's no Mm -hmm. such thing as a free lunch. You know, folks don't just give you stuff. You got to do something. You got to put it out. Um, So I use that as a driver. And what I found over the years is that. Other people emulate that also. When they see me give, they give. Okay, so it works both ways. So that that's been a driver for me. Skill mm-hmm. development is another. Um, I started out as a math major. Uh, I exhausted all the math they had in Gary uh, school system by the time I was in my junior year. So I started taking college courses, um, tested into a high level math class oh, wow. at Harvard. Um, not math five, not math twenty. I was math fifty, so I'm I'm up there. So I walk in ready to kick some butt. All right, who's dog mm-hmm. eating this class? You know, I'm ready. I'm I'm gonna kick some bail. I'm at Harvard. I can do this. I walk into the classroom and there's twenty Asians. I said, hmm, okay. And then the teacher walks in and the teacher's Chinese. Hmm, okay. Then he starts talking in Chinese. I said, oh, oh, oh. So. I quickly decided that I needed to switch, and I switched to economics, numbers with dollar signs. Whole new world opened up. I still use my problem-solving skills, still working with numbers, but now there's dollar signs. So I kept pursuing a process of understanding what I was good at and developing it. So I majored in economics, went to work for a mm-hmm. bank in Philadelphia because I wanted to understand money. Went to Harvard, I didn't have money. I saw a lot there. I wanted to work at a bank. Um, so I could understand money flows, how you get it, uh, how you use it, how you use money to make money. And um, did real well, got assigned to real estate, which was like a prime thing, and um, did an analysis of this one guy looking to borrow $30 million uh, to build some uh, condos mm-hmm. in Ocean City, Maryland. And I looked at this package, and it was a crock. You know, I'm marking it up all over the place. It was, it was horrible. And I told my manager, think this is a good deal. We went and sat in on the meeting. He let me sit in on the meeting when the guy came to present it. And the guy walked in, dressed impeccably, very, very smooth. Every question we asked, he had the answers. Um, he was just sharp. And he walked out with $30 million. I wish. So I left the bank, and I went and got a job in sales. Okay, so, uh, I, I mean, clearly financial analysis and understanding money flows was great, but Having sales skills yes. allowed you to access them. <laughs> big time. Um, so again, yeah, I'm I'm skilled development. Went to work for Procter and Gamble because they were one of the three best companies to teach you how to sell. Xerox, IBM, or the other two. 
I did the research and decided I didn't want technology. And I went to P&G and they taught me how to sell. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was salesman of the year for the entire Eastern District in eight months. Um, selling Tide, Cheer, Oxidol, Dash, Gain, Ivy Liquid, Joy, Cascade, Era, selling soap to supermarkets. Uh, salesman of the year. And the reason I was salesman of the year was because I took their sales training and I adapted it to my yep. personality. Which is very important. Okay. You got to give some to get some. I you know I... I, I, I basically worked for the supermarket. I didn't work for Procter & Gamble. My goal was to make them successful. When they saw I cared about their business, they let me you order You know, a funny story, and now that you're talking about that, I remembered when I first met you, it had to be uh, in 2014. I think I was, uh, you asked me about my experience. Actually, I think you were interviewing me, and uh, I had mentioned that I worked for PC Mall uh, selling computers, and then I also mentioned after that statement, after I told you, I, you know, about my resume, that I no longer placed it on my resume. And you asked me why not. And I was like, man, this guy's crazy. What is he talking about? Like, no one cares about this stuff. Uh, here I am four years later. And I now wholly realize the importance of selling yourself because it, it is the single most defining factor uh, of your career. Your ability to not only sell yourself, but to sell your product uh, which is maybe, you know, the services that you can offer or skills that you can, you know, that you can market for uh, a fee. Uh, being a good salesperson is, is honestly, is paramount to everything, really, when it comes to uh, advancing yourself. And I didn't realize that until this year, to be very honest. Mm -hmm. Well, I use it in everything I do. I mean, the training that I got um, at Procter & Gamble, as I said, they could teach a rock how to sell. But once I adapted it to um, to my personality and yeah. you have to give some to get some, um, I, I found it, it was a key that opened a yeah. lot of doors. So uh, I'm really curious. So you you have a pretty solid history in, in, in for-profit and business. Uh, you're a very principled and adaptive person. Uh, like I was kind of alluding to uh, a few times, I met you uh, – through our organization, which I was hired, which was Concerned Christian Men. And, uh, you know, I guess I kind of had thought about it then, but now I get to ask the question, uh, what, for, 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 as many as you, from, for as many years you have been involved with Concerned Christian Men, what has particularly endeared you to the organization? Well, um, several things. Um, I first heard about Concerned Christian Men because my college roommate, George oh, yeah. Glenn, started the organization. Uh, and um, he asked me to be a speaker the very first year, uh, 1998, I believe it was. Asked me to be a speaker at one of their very first breakfasts. And um, um, that started my connection. But what maintained the connection was seeing these young boys who were so starved for mm -hmm. direction, so starved for the ability to have someone to talk to, um, looking for role models, looking for answers, looking for attention, um, looking yeah. for somebody who cared. Um, and as soon as you showed that to them, they blossomed. Um, so my whole perspective as I look at my business operation is that the most important asset that I have is my people. Okay, so I have to develop people. And what I do is I work 
I spent a lot of time working with people to mm -hmm. help them realize their potential. Uh, yeah. That's made yeah. me a lot of money. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great skill to have. It's also a great interest to have. But I apply that same skill and interest yeah. to those young boys because they're going to have a tremendous return also. It'll be a societal return. But investing in our youth is where the biggest investment, you get the biggest returns of any investment we can make I, in this country. I agree. Only. Um, uh, yeah, and I, yeah, I just always been, have been curious. And But, you know, I think the answer uh, has always kind of been in front of me because, it, you know, as you're, you were talking about your background, uh, being principled and having this strong connection to spirituality and, and wanting and, and being raised from a very young age to give back or, you know, it, it, it now it, it all makes sense uh, because you've have invested a lot in that organization. You've done a lot for it. Uh, and a lot of people have done a lot for it, but I think also to, uh, you know, you considering your background, uh, in primarily in, in, in business and, and for profit, uh, it's, it's just so interesting that you have such a strong dedication and commitment and you have had it for over a decade to this, this work. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Well, when we bought our first business in, uh, 1985, um, a stamping company in Lansing, Michigan. And we put together our mission, mission statement, which talked about what we wanted to be as a company. The last portion of that mission statement said that we seek to initiate programs that favorably impact the communities in which we operate. So part of our mission starting out was that we would initiate mm -hmm. programming that impacts the community. Uh, and we proceeded to uh, develop a program called the Single Parent Family Institute that we started the first year we bought our business. Well, actually, the second year started in August. We bought the business August 85. But by the following year, we had raised funds and created the Single Parent Family Institute that worked with single mothers with a history of welfare and public housing dependency. Oh, so you're not new to this. You've been doing this for a very long time. Yeah. Well, I was doing it before then. Okay, I just <laughs> okay. had my own company at that point, and I could do it the way I wanted to do it. But I received uh, an award from Shevis Regal, uh, mm -hmm. Extrapreneur of the Year, which is someone that uses entrepreneurial skills for community development. Um, but I, and I, I, I stole the idea of the Single Parent Family Institute from Dr. Sakroni Karanja and his um, organization, Centers for New Horizons. I was on the board and we had a program called the Family Development Institute, which actually was focused on single parents. So once I got the business started, I created the same or a similar organization um, as one of the signature. Uh, no, I would say I, I, and it's funny enough because I, I feel like there needs to be a level of duplication of organizations. If a model has been proven to be effective, why wouldn't you, you, know, you use it somewhere else where the population needs those type of services? Uh, but yeah, see look at that. I mean, the, the more I talk to people on this podcast, the more I learn about them. And I, I don't think it would have ever come up in conversation uh, between you and I that, you know, at some point, uh, way before you got involved with, with Concerned Christian Men, that you had already been doing the work in the community. Uh, and of course, I was around for about two years and I'm, you know, afterwards, I'm still getting emails and seeing what you all are doing. Uh, the organization has grown tremendously from the point of, from, from when I was there to where it is now. It's awesome. And, and you guys have really pivoted uh, into a, a new direction. I mean, you're really engaging a lot of youth, uh, 
uh, I, I would have, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot more than uh, we were engaging when I was actually working there. Well, we, we've hit a rough spot in that we've had some leadership changes. Um, and that's been a real challenge for us. Uh, we went through, I think we had three different executive directors in yeah. less than three years. And that's taken a toll. We now have a gentleman, Michael Cobb, who's been there for a year plus, and he's going to be around. So we're we're actually refashioning the organization around him and around the new board chair at Prentice. It has an, uh, uh, owns his own company, and they do uh, training videos and animation projects for corporations. Um, but he's created an arm called the Creative mm-hmm. Media Agency that works with corporations and he does projects for them using uh, students. So the students actually produce training videos, animation that the companies pay for. Um, so that's a program that we're now um, framing. And we've actually already started that program in one ele- elementary school. And we'll be working to others with others to implement it. So the organization has, has moved in a, a Yes. It's moving in a new and exciting direction. That's why I'm getting out the way. And, uh, no, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, like I said, I've been keeping track, and uh, what's being done is amazing. Uh, and you guys have really made use of that facility on 95th Street, uh, which is was huge. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm also, too, because I know that, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of at that point where we, we need to transition. But I, I'm curious, because uh, before we got on here, we were talking about, the Gary uh, initiative that you've been a part of for a very long time. Uh, and so, you know, you're, you're stepping aside to an extent with Concerned Christian Men. I think you mentioned that you're, you're still going to be on the board, but it also seems like maybe some of your, uh, that additional energy that you now have has been shifted to this initiative in Gary. Well, I, I, I will remain probably as active as I've been okay. with concerned Christian men. I just gotcha. have to okay. be in the leadership role. So I'm not stepping oh, down. Yeah, from, I just want to make sure I that's clear. To I mean, concerned that. Christian men. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, the Gary uh, initiative has taken clearly a lot of time and effort, but it's mostly been at the expense yeah. of my for-profit business. And that's possible because we hired a president. Uh, a gentleman uh, last year in December, and it's all part of the plan. Uh, I've got an overall plan that I operate uh, under. So um, brought in a gentleman, and he is now the president and is taking many of the things that mm-hmm. previously were on my plate. Uh, he's taking them off, and he's running with them. Yeah, absolutely. So that frees me up. So I can spend that time doing several things. I mean, I've taken, I've done six weeks of international travel this year. Um Where'd you go? You know, I mean, I've taken a bunch of um, uh, Vietnam, uh, Korea, Japan, uh, London, Prague, uh, Danube River cruise down to uh, Budapest, uh, you know, just Germany, uh, Austria, you know, doing a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So I, oh, you know, I work hard and I play hard <laughs> and I rest hard. Uh, every year we have a place in South Haven, Michigan, beautiful place. Um, I spend two months operating out of South Haven, Michigan, uh, you know, right downtown, mm-hmm. four blocks from the beach. Um, great place to chill, give uh, 
four day parties. You know, I mean, is, is, is it about time, time for you to go into uh, um, into that spot? I'm sorry. Is it about time for you to go into uh, the spot in Michigan? You say you spent about two months operating out of there. Uh, when do you when do you do that? Well, no, that, that okay, gotcha. That's in July and August. For okay, a that's a, okay. Uh, the winter times I head south, uh, Florida. I mean, I mean uh, next week today, uh, heading to Palm Springs for eight days. Um, you know, got trips already planned, multiple trips. Uh, my brother's got a place in West Palm Beach with five oh. bedrooms. One of them's got my name on it. Uh, all I have to do is get there, and I get there every month. So, uh, so yeah, I'm 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 devoting a mm-hmm. lot of time to gaps. But I'm also devoting a lot of time Absolutely, to doing the kind yeah. of things I enjoy doing. You know, that, that gets to, I mentioned the drivers in my career. One was my personal mission, which has been a driver. Another was skill development, which has really been a directional piece. But the third is that I figured out early on that one of the most important things for me in my mm-hmm. career yeah. was to control yeah. my time. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they want to be rich or whatever they want to be. I I, I never knew what an entrepreneur was when I was a kid growing up, but I did know that I want to control my time. I want to do Absolutely. what I want to do when I want to do it. Um, and right now, if I want to get up at five, I get up at five. If I mm-hmm. want to go to bed at five, I go to bed at five. Uh, if I want to clean off my calendar, I clean off my calendar. Um, so God willing, um, I do what I want to do when I want to do it. So um, it's, it's a great position to be in. It's taken me a long time to get there. But uh, I've been working on this for years. I've been retired on Mondays for 20 years. You, wait, you, I'm sorry. I want to make sure I got that correctly. You've been retired for 20 years or? Oh, got you. Okay. On oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, 20 years ago, yeah, I was working, you know, mega hours in Michigan, kids growing up. I'm bouncing back and forth to check out football games. And you know, it was a killer growing mm-hmm. a business with young kids. And at the end of the year, end of every year, I do my planning, um, review what happened the previous year, lay out the goals for next year. Well, about 20 years ago, I decided that I was going to do quantum leap planning, that I wanted to set goals that took me way beyond where I was. And my first quantum leap goal, based on deciding that I want to control my time, is I wanted to be retired on Mondays. And at the time, I was working 90-hour, 100-hour weeks. Um, That's why I wanted to be retired on Mondays. Um, so I communicated that to my brother, all the employees, my customers, the bank, everybody. Within two months, nobody That's called awesome. me on Monday. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. Mondays is not for profit day. It's personal trainer day. It's long weekend day. It's uh, I got oh, Fridays too now. Work week. So um, that program <laughs> works real well. So uh, I. So I hear all this, you're doing all this, uh, uh, you have a lot of free time uh, and Concerned Christian Men has been there. You're also working out in Gary. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to share about your work, yourself, uh, that you think that it's important uh, to know? Because the whole point of me doing this podcast is that I want people to hear uh, individuals who have found some sort of formula for for living life, for getting involved in social impact work and being successful at it. So if there's anything else that you can share in terms of an insight, uh, that would be great or not. I mean, we can just move on to the next. Yeah, I guess one piece, it's a piece that 
uh, a perspective that I developed um, actually at uh, Concerned Christian Men. I'm a framework guy. Okay, I mean, when you solve problems, you have to create frameworks so that you can use those as the foundations for figuring out what's current as well as what's perspective and do the hypotheticals. So I create frameworks. Mm -hmm. So the 4G framework, uh, which will be infused into all of our programming at, uh, at Concerned Christian Men, God, Goals, Guidance, and Guts. Uh, it's a framework that I developed beginning as a kid and formalized about 10 years ago. And it's a powerful framework. Another framework that I've used that works real well is very simple. Um, it's called preaching, teaching, and reaching. Um, as, as I work with not just kids, but also within my company, got to preach. Okay, you got you to gotta give them the word. And the word starts with vision. I mean, that's one way of preaching, talking about mission, values, or um, direction. This is what we're trying to do. Um, you got to preach. You can't just preach, though. You also have to teach. Preaching is, is a monolistic, is a, is a monolist kind of thing. It's you talking. Well, teaching is you talking and responding with someone so that they can actually yep. get the message and deliver insights back and forth. Um, that's a piece that's important. The reaching piece is what makes it work because then you have to be able to step back and make sure that you've reached them because now they have to demonstrate that they heard mm -hmm. the preaching, they've been taught, and now they can reach out and make things happen. Um, so I use that framework in my business. I use it with uh, my not-for-profits. Um, I use it personally. Uh, you know, I've got to preach, I got to teach, but I also got to reach. I, I just can't yeah. preach. Preaching's fun. That's what most people do. Uh, you know, a lot of people. Yep. Right. A lot of people love it, but you, know, you can't start and start. You can't start and stop with preaching. You got to go beyond that to teaching and reaching. So uh, I, I would urge folks to get to that to the preaching part for sure, because you have to have your concepts um, and your beliefs and your direction straight in order to effectively preach. Uh, you got to come from a point that you're comfortable, that you understand what you're putting out there, but you got to be able to get the message out. Um, the teaching piece is mm -hmm. where a lot of people fall down because that requires getting hands dirty. You got to get in there. Um, the reaching part is inspirational. Um, you have to inspire folks. Uh, heroic, mm -hmm. I'm reading a book called Heroic Leadership. It's about the, the Jesuits and um, how they created uh, one of the most powerful leadership organizations in the world. And they focused on heroic leadership, being able to create a vision that takes people way beyond where they are and inspires them to, to accomplish that vision and then helps create the pathways and the structures to get you. It's there. funny enough that you say that um, because, you know, the population that we're at, uh, that I'm accustomed to working with and that you've been working with for a very long time. That's exactly what they need. Their, their environment does not reflect uh, the possibilities out there. Uh, so it's it's it makes perfect sense again uh, that you know you, you have this framework and you have this way of thinking about uh, helping these young people develop a vision, and uh, because we all know that you know it it just isn't good enough to tell them that school is there or a trade program is there and they should do it. It's more or less helping them to craft that vision. Uh, and I was even thinking, too, about the whole sales piece is that you want them to to buy into what you're saying and believe that they it's, it's coming from them. And that's how you really build intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well stated.
think that we're going to go ahead and transition into uh, the next segment, which is called the Big Five. Uh, it's five questions that uh, are existential in nature. And so it gets at to the core and motivation behind uh, your, your perspective and philosophy on social impact work. I try to keep these responses between uh, three minutes or around three minutes uh, just so that they're succinct and then and people are able to easily take what you say and, and apply them in their, their daily life. And so the first question I have to ask uh, is, uh, what do you think the role of a social venturist is in creating positive change in the world? Um, I think it's a, it's a huge role, a vital role. Um, you know, if you look at where we're evolving as a company, as a country now, the issue of social change is uh, not emanating from some of several of our leaders. Um, however, if you look at what's happening with a lot of the billionaires, for example, um, Warren Buffett, uh, Gates, Bloomberg, Soros, these guys have figured out that it's great to make money, but you got to put that money to work. And there are several ways you can put it to work. And a lot of mm -hmm. work, those ways are societal. So, um, the, the fact that those folks have recognized that and are putting their money where their hearts and their minds are, um, to me, is one of the most positive trends out there. And they are generating change. Um, also, there are several foundations. I'm on the board of the Joyce Foundation. Um, they are led by folks who really have a strong focus on equity, on uh, developing our youth. So the Joyce Foundation, uh, Julie mm -hmm. Stash, uh, MacArthur, um, Misong, Polk Brothers, these are people that are taking and supporting social ventures with billions, yep. mi millions and millions of dollars. Um, so uh, um, vital role. And then you've got guys like uh, Sakoni Karanja, as I mentioned, Dr. Sakoni Karanja. Uh, I'm on the board of his organization called uh, MOT 2016. What they've done is focused on one of the blocks uh, in Bronzeville that has one of the highest murder rates. It's about really? 39th and Calumet, right in that area. Hmm. This area had um, 26 murders in 2016. And they've mobilized the community to take control of their community. They've set up um, telephone trees. They've worked with the businesses there have only been two murders in that district in 2018, and there was 26 just two years ago. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. That's impact. That's impact. Um, so that that's what leadership can do for you, but also that's what serious community organizing can do for you. Um, so I see the role of social ventures. I mean, it's it's essential that um, you have leaders. And I talked about several folks who got a bunch of money, some who controlled a bunch of money, and some who really don't care about money. But as long as they've got the betterment of their community at heart, these guys can make I agree. things happen. Real, that's, a, that's an amazing answer. Uh, the second question is, uh, why do you think your work is important? Why is my work important? That's um, that's an easy one. I mean, um, especially as we look at what's happening to urban environments mm -hmm. and black folks in urban environments. 
okay, folks have been left behind. Uh, we talked about the program in Gary. Um, well, Gary's had a lot of issues, um, economic, um, violence, uh, you know, just overall deterioration. And the net results of the schools have totally abdicated their role as educating kids. Um, so if no one has the kids on their list as this is a priority, what happens yeah. to the community? It's going to die. Um, they'll die there or they'll, they'll leave one or the other, but the community is going to die. So the work we're doing there is around pulling together a variety of resources, some within the community and also bringing back expatriates, 10,000 folks who graduated from Westside High School. Well, about 9,500 of them have left. Um, uh, actually, it's 100,000, I think. But the point is, is we got to bring them back because um, that's the only way we're going we're to revitalize some of those really yeah. downtrodden communities where nobody's investing. Now, I'm going to say nobody. That's not true. Um, the mayor, uh, Karen Freeman uh, Wilson, has brought in some substantial investment. Uh, we've had three major um, organizations uh, um, um, uh, that have recently announced they're putting mm -hmm. new facilities in Gary. So the process is starting, but the kids are left behind. Um, so the work that we do and the work that, that I do is really focused on ensuring that these kids can become responsible, valuable members of their community. That's awesome. Um, and I will make a quick comment before transitioning to the third question. Uh, I think uh, the, 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 the point you made about the, the investment in people coming back into, into communities that they left and investing is huge uh, because you have a lot of talent like yourself. And, you know, I would even some people would, would even assume uh, that I'm a talent. Right. And you, you go off and you do things. But if you're not going back to the place that created you, that helped to shape and mold who you are. And then you're really doing them a disservice uh, and it's obligatory that you do this. And it's just how I think about it. And so, uh, you know, if you don't have people coming back and, and reinvesting in, in spaces that they grew up in uh, to help shape them uh, in ways that were powerful, then, you know, what hope, like you just said, do young people have uh, who are growing up in similar environments? Uh, you know, you can you could help to bring more young people who live in distressed communities uh, out when you go back and you give when you when you give what give more than what you could have given when you were younger. So uh, yeah, uh, the the third question I have is what legacy do you want to create? Um, well, uh, I want my work and my missions um, to be institutionalized. Um, and multiply. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a concept to reality guy. I mm -hmm. can take concepts, figure out how to make them real. And what I want is sustainability. Okay, I want to be able to um, have GAPS continue to do what it does, not just in Gary, but in Hammond, in East Chicago, in East St. Louis, in Newark. Um, these programs, if in fact they have the kind of impact that yes. uh, that we've seen, they should be replicated. Um, you need answers from a lot of these communities. I think these programs can be answers, and I want to make sure that um, long after I'm gone, they continue to do what they do. And that's how I operate my businesses. Um, 
I tell people when I hire them, six lines, I will give you clear direction. I will give you frequent feedback. I hope you do your job. Yeah. I'll even do your job for you. But after you do your job, why do I need you? Okay. Starts with clear direction, company plan, you know, objectives, feedback. Tell me what's up. Help you do your job. Not a problem. Can't do it. Tell you what, let's work on that resume because we can find some other place for you to add value. It just ain't here. Um, but where that has value yep. is when they tell me and give me clear direction, give me frequent feedback, help me do my job. Matter of fact, do my job for Absolutely. me so I can move on. Okay. That's legacy. Um, when you actually have people that understand what you're trying to do so well that they do it better than you can. So legacy you got to get out their way. Uh, That's what I'm looking the for. The fourth question I have is uh, how has all this work you've been doing in, in the nonprofit space uh, impacted your personal growth? Um, seriously. I mean, I'm all about growth and development. I mean, that that's what I do. Um, so I enjoy seeing growth and development in other folks. I enjoy seeing mm-hmm. it in myself. So I'm like Barry White. I practice what I preach. Uh, you know, it, um, my whole focus is on, con- I say as a businessman, I've got two levers that I can pull to drive the business to profitability. One's called continuous improvement. Get better and better and better and better and better. And the other is permanent corrective action. Mm-hmm. Don't patch it, fix it. Something's wrong, fix it. Don't patch it, fix it. So I use that same perspective in my personal life. I want to get better and better. And my golf game is better oh, no. now than it ever has been. And it's going to get even better because I'm figuring things out. I'm working on continuous improvement. I'm 65 years old. I can um, still play one-on-one with some of the best talents. Not and to take them out. I can't. Because <laughs> I figured some things out. Now, I'm backing off. Of them. Right, right. Um, so I, I practice mm-hmm. what I preach. If, if I'm preaching continuous improvement, then I want to demonstrate continuous improvement. If, I wanna, if I'm preaching permanent corrective action, fix things, I need to fix things personally. Uh, I'm working on several projects now that came to light because it, with the Concerned Christian Men, we challenged the young boys for one month to identify some specific areas they wanted to improve. Yeah. We gave them a format and they filled it out and, and they're working on it. Well, I took the same format. Okay, I'm working on some of the some of the things that I identified, and I'm making progress. Um, um, so, personal growth um, it, it's it's something that for me is is essential. And as I look at also uh, what I'm doing, as I say, I, okay. I the last question uh, I have is uh, how have you managed? And you've had a long time to do this. How have you managed adversity and failure throughout your life? Well, I guess, first of all, if, if you look at my life, I've had a lot of adversity. Uh, I've been, um, I've seen a lot of failure. I've had some failures. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood where, I mean, they say, you know, Chicago is very violent. A lot of people getting killed. You know, well, back in the 60s and 70s, they were killing them even faster and more than they were than they are here. I mean, the murder rate was up 50% higher back in those days. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of folks were going to Vietnam and getting killed, too. So I grew up with three convicted murderers um, that were good friends, plus several that probably didn't get convicted, but they're murderers. Uh, 
three people on my block got killed in Vietnam, you know, I've, I've been in dangerous kind of environments. Uh, I've been in scenarios where we bought our first business. We had leveraged up the hill. We, we put in 200,000, raised 13 million and walked in as the owners. And three weeks oh, later, wow. General Motors pulled two thirds of the business out and gave it to another company. We were literally bankrupt on the day of our company picnic, first picnic they'd ever had. Nobody knew it but Mike and I, but at that point, uh, General Motors was lined up with trucks to take mm-hmm. the business out. So I've seen a lot of adversity. Um, mm-hmm. Got to make payroll, 300 families. We got no money. Um, so the deal is, is that I handle stress well. I'm also a problem solver. Um, you do what you got to do. Uh, you do what you have to do. You figure it out. I mean, that's what problem solving is all about. If I got a nasty situation. If there's a solution, I'm going to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I learned from failure. Uh, I put myself in positions. Ah, there you go. Okay. To fail. Because I was going to ask see you how I can get out uh, of. It. Uh, what, what's your framework for dealing years. with it? But I, I, I honestly think there isn't one. I think it's about exposure and, and getting out there and learning how to manage it. Uh, manage yourself more so than the actual event that's happening outside of you. Well, <clears throat> I agree. <clears throat> I think that um, um, it, it, I, had, I, I, I had a saying that I coined years ago um, that was a driver for me. Again, frameworks. The saying is, in mm-hmm. confusion, there's profit for those that can make order out of disorder. In confusion, there's profit. So if there's a situation where folks don't know what's happening, if you can make sense out of it, you can make money. Um because I have that skill, I create confusion just because I have the capability to benefit from it. Um, so adversity is not a it's not a it's not a problem for me. I mean, it's got some you know, negative connotations and there's some issues, but I've always figured out how to make how to make things work uh, if there's a nasty situation. And matter of fact, I create confusion just because. I figure that's out how deep. to make and that uh, sounds, how to create opportunities out of it. I wouldn't even know how to. De- I'm, so, I would imagine uh, we need more time to deconstruct something like that because that's pretty deep. And uh, and I think most people would want to avoid confusion. But you know, if if I'm getting the right vibe from you and and how you approach life, uh, you want to be prepared for every situation. And so you you know if uh, you you are in a space where you can create a, a tad bit of disorder to figure out how to dig yourself out of it. You seem like you're prudent enough. Well, you, you want to develop this very prudent uh, awareness about yourself. So when in the future you, you, you're in a situation that's similar or one that's completely unknown, you have some sort of foundation which to draw from to deal with it. But that's interesting. I create confusion. Huh. Well, I mean, I have contingency plans for my contingency plans. <clears throat> but let me give an example. In basketball, if I'm playing mm-hmm. somebody one-on-one, I let them do what they're comfortable doing. If they're going right, I let them go right. You shoot a jumper, don't shoot that jumper. Don't put any pressure on them, let them do it. Then you take it away from them. You crowd them. Okay. And in that moment, they're confused because they're used to going and, and I didn't provide any you know, defense before. Now, all of a sudden, they're confused. Well, that's my opportunity. Okay, and then I've got a process that I use to escalate that confusion. Instead of 
letting them shoot, I'll jump in and not just block it. I'll snatch that sucker. I mean, I'll embarrass them. I mean, at that point, they're confused. Then I turn it on offensively because I also uh, don't show them okay. all of my skills up front. Now, all of a sudden, they don't know what to do. At that point, they're gone. I see what you mean. You know, they're, 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 some people have the capability to recover from that. Most folks don't. So, you know, you create confusion and then you you plan on that confusion and you have a game plan to profit from that confusion. Um, people do that all the time in deregulated industries. If an industry is being deregulated, for example, or the rules for success are changing, the people who are used to playing by those old rules have a hard time adapting to the new rules. Guys yeah. who see that coming and understand that, they're ready to pounce when that confusion happens. Southwest Airlines, perfect example. Um, you know, when they deregulated the automotive industry, Southwest came in with a model that was perfect for deregulation. United, American, TWA, Pan Am, Eastern, well, some of those names you probably don't remember, but they weren't ready. Um, so it, it's a tried and true formula. It's just one that you can also apply personally. Yeah, that's awesome. And I hope people who listen to this really pick up on this last part. I, I tend to hover over this last question because I think it's the most important. But that's a very interesting way of approaching it. Uh, it's awesome. So. Mr. Guthrie, I'm going to transition into the last segment, which is called 10 Toes Down. And this is essentially uh, your time to shine. If you have any opportunities or you know of any opportunities for people to get involved uh, on the ground uh, or through their pockets, uh, you can announce it here. And so uh, the whole point of this is that people who are listening, uh, those that don't know how to get involved or where to get involved, they now have at least one place. Uh, or at least one organization they can turn to, to uh, put foot to pavement. So, well, um, yeah, that, there's um, the two organizations, not-for-profit organizations um, I'm heavily involved in are Concerned Christian Men, which is uh, concernedchristianmen.org. And there's also uh, Gary Alumni Pathway to Students, which is uh, www.gapsgary.org. Um, both of those organizations have needs uh, mm -hmm. in financial, you know, clearly, but also volunteers. Um, Concerned Christian Men is looking for men, males, young men that can bridge the gap between old guys like me yeah. and those young elementary school kids. That's really the role, one of the roles that you played when you were there. Um, you know, I mean, we, we still have a need and it's even greater now for young men who can come in and work with young boys to help them figure out what they need to do be, to be successful in their lives and responsible members of the community. Um, now with Gary Alumni Pathway to Students, um, we're, we're soliciting alumni and other Gary residents to be part of the program. We're also looking to hire an executive director. Um, we'll be posting that on our website um, in January but um, that's an opportunity for someone who has the requisite skills to be on the ground floor of an organization that um, is going to be a major player in urban uh, redevelopment and community development going forward. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, those, those are the two opportunities. We hire a lot of folks for our business. We just hired five people this month. Uh, we're looking for vice presidents in the finance also, um, some more engineers. Yeah. Um, but we can take care of that business. I'm more at this point, interested in, in 
um, identifying folks who might be interested in helping to uh, become part of Concerned Christian Men or Gary Alumni Pathway to Students. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, any final words that that you want to kind of maybe share uh, that's outside of anything that we've talked about so far? Uh, no, I think you got all I got, man. Okay. I'm on empty. <laughs> well, uh, I, I appreciate you for taking time out. I know you're very busy, and uh, I, I imagine this podcast uh, episode is going to be very powerful. Uh, there are a lot of uh, bits in here that people can really take and pull uh, to really redefine how they motivate themselves, how they challenge adversity, and uh, how they uh, define uh, their role in the world in terms of social impact uh, work. So uh, I think we're going to sign off now. Uh, as I always say, uh, I hope everybody who's listening and not listening that they continue to live in kind. And what that simply means is that you go out into the world uh, every chance you can and, and you give of yourself to make it a better place for not only you, you as a human being, but also those that will be coming after you. So until next time, take care.